to Psalm chapter 42. Welcome to the second week of our Christmas series that we are calling A Thrill of Hope. And I can't thank Pastor Jordan enough for filling in for me last week and leading us into this series. I went to the emergency room on Tuesday, so my India thing came back. And of course, I, I had my book bag with me. I was like, I'm just going to study as long as they keep me here and I'll just be ready for Sunday. And of course, it wasn't long before they gave me something on Tuesday that knocked me out. I mean, I, I got an ambulance ride from Baptist uh, North to Baptist South, and I couldn't even enjoy it. I was out cold the whole time. I don't even, it was, it was wild. And um, by, by Wednesday morning, um, Pastor Jordan has said, hey, do you need me to preach? I'm like, I'll let you know. By Wednesday morning, it was like, there is no way um, I will be there on Sunday, please. Uh, help out. I'm so thankful for Pastor Mike as well. I'm helping out on, on Wednesday and so good to be able to uh, know that the word of God is still going to be proclaimed. But um, here we are looking at this picture of a thrill of hope and Christmas is all about a hope that has come to us, a hope that has come for us. Yet there are many who in this season are hopeless, who are filled with pain, who are filled with despair. And whether it's a reminder of lost loved ones who are no longer here, whether it's the realization of another year with unmet dreams that have not been fulfilled, whether it's um, just the difficult circumstances in our lives that just won't leave, this season can bring all the broken places of our hearts that have been neglected to the surface. Yet even in the midst of all of these realities, we have a hope and we are called to hope. We are called to hope. And if there, if there is one word that adequately describes the world that we live in, it is the word weary. We live in a weary world. We need a thrill of hope. And that hope can only be found in Jesus shining his light upon us because until that happens, we are hopeless. And hope is such a powerful thing. You know, the world that we live in equates the word hope with a wish. Meaning, anytime you hear the word hope in our world, it normally means I'm wishing upon a star, and I'm hoping um, that something that I want to happen is going to happen. Not sure that it's going to happen, but I'm just hoping and wishing that it will. Now, there are probably very few days that go by that we don't even, that we don't use the word hope. I mean, think about it. We, I hope we're on time. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope it's not cancer. I hope they'll understand. I hope they're not angry. I hope I get the job. I hope God hears me. I hope this ends sometime soon. From the smallest concerns to the grandest difficulties, our lives are shaped they're directed, they're motivated, even frustrated by hope. Meaning, everyone hopes, everyone in this room is hoping right now. Those online, you're hoping right now. Everyone hooks their hopes to something, and we hope that our hope will come through for us. All of us, we're hoping in something, and we're hoping that that something or someone will come through for us. In fact, no one has ever intentionally hoped in something or someone that was hopeless. Now, maybe it proved to be, but in our minds, we thought there was hope. 
Everyone longs for a hope that is sure. And when the Bible uses the word hope, it means a confident expectation. It hasn't happened yet, but it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to happen. And as followers of Jesus, our hope is not idealistic and our hope is not naive. It's an eyes wide open kind of hope that sees the world in all of its brokenness and still we hold on. We hold on. And our God, who is the sovereign God over all, is a God of hope. He's a God that we can hope in. He is one and the only one that we can anchor our lives to. So I want us to dive in today, and I want us to see a picture of what it means to wait in hope. And we are going to see again an honest, an honest picture of a broken heart and life today. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read all of Psalm 42 together and just listen to the pain of this psalm. The psalmist says this, verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy as with a deadly wound in my bones my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and like this psalmist, there are so many times, and maybe this is one of them, where our hearts break, depression, darkness, disillusionment sets into our lives, and Lord, we lose our bearings, we lose our way. Maybe it's because we've hoped in things that will never come through for us. And today, help us to cry out with the psalmist to ourselves, hope in God. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in our midst, touching us at the exact place that we need your touch in this moment. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. I don't know about you, but in our house, there have been moments of Christmas music ever since Halloween night. So the second the last doorbell rang, Madison, all of a sudden, all I want for Christmas is you, is blaring. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, Dad, it's Christmas season. And I'm like, no, it's not. 
Christmas season isn't until the day after Thanksgiving. Everybody knows that, but we have been hearing Christmas music in our house. Now, of course, it's a daily occurrence in our house. Nothing but Christmas music coming. And thinking about that, a few years ago, there was a documentary that highlighted the highest grossing songs, American songs of all time. And did you know that three of the top ten highest grossing songs of all time are Christmas songs? Coming in at number 10 is a song that was written in 1934 by a jazz musician by the name of Mel Torme when he was 19 years old. The song is called The Christmas Song, and it goes like this. Oh, you thought I was about to sing? (laughs) Nope. But it goes like this. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And he wrote this during a balmy day in Los Angeles in July. So when he wrote this, there was no Jack Frost nipping at his nose. There was no chestnuts roasting on an open fire. But he wrote this song in about 45 minutes. And since 1934, it has made $25 million. Coming in at number seven is a song also written in 1934. A publisher in New York City approached a lyricist by the name of Havin Gillespie and said, you know, I think you have a vocabulary that children can understand, which I don't know if that's a compliment or not. But he went on to say, I'd like you to write a Christmas song. And so Gillespie pulled out a pen, and on the back of an envelope, in 15 minutes, he wrote the song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And that song has made $45 million. But these two songs pale in comparison to the second highest grossing single, just behind number one. So the number one song of all time, grossing song of all time, Happy Birthday. Go figure. But second is a song that has made over $65 million. It was written in 1940 by a Jewish immigrant from Russia by the name of Irving Berlin. And it was sung by a young man whose nickname was Bing. Anybody? White Christmas. Now, of course, that's a dream that probably won't come true in Florida. But we are dreaming of a white Christmas. But here's the thing. Here's the point. Songs have power to move us. They, they get stuck in our heads and won't leave, especially the songs that we don't want there. When Morgan was a kid, it was the Wiggles, and oh my goodness, you get a Wiggles song in your mind, it doesn't ever go away. Some of you have no idea what that means. Look them up. Please look them up, fruit salad, yummy, yummy, and it'll be with you forever. But songs have power. They have power to lift us up. They have power to change our mood. And don't miss it. What we just read, Psalm 42, is a song. It's a song that was to be sung. And it's a song filled with lament. It's filled with disorientation. Yet, there is hope. Now, this psalm is an orphan psalm, meaning that we don't know the particulars of who wrote it. We don't know the occasion of which it was written. Some have suggested it was written by a Levite as he lamented his absence from the house of God and from the presence of God. Others suggest that David wrote it as he fled from his son Absalom, and he's writing it so that the sons of Korah could sing it because that was their job in the temple to sing. Others have suggested it was actually penned by the sons of Korah as they were fleeing or, excuse me, being carried away from, from Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And as they got about 100 miles away, they began to write this as they looked back and longed for Jerusalem. But regardless of who wrote this psalm, it's a psalm of desperation. Yet, in the midst of this desperation, there's hope. 
There's hope that rises up in the darkness. And some of you have walked into this place of worship or you have clicked online today and you are hanging on by a thread. You're hanging on by a thread, yet God has hope for you today. Yet let me just say this. This psalm doesn't end with everything tied up nicely in a nice little bow all wrapped up in golden wrapping paper. No, this song ends where the battle continues. It's a battle. And I think the beauty of this psalm is God show, is showing us that we don't have to have everything figured out in order to trust the God who does. Let me say it again. We don't have to have everything figured out in order to trust the one who does. So what I want to do this morning is I want to lay before you three pictures that we see here in Psalm 42 that I pray will help us now and will help us as we continue to wait in hope, maybe even in despair. The first picture is this, longing for God. The first picture that we see is a picture of longing for God. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? It means at the temple. My tears have been my food day and night. The psalmist says this, my tears are taunting me. My tears are taunting me. They're, they're telling me, they're asking me, where's God? Where is your God in the midst of this? Later on, the psalmist says, even my enemies are taunting me. Because things are so bad for me, my, my enemies are saying, where's your God at? Where's the one that you trust in? Then he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. Let me just say this. The psalmist begins with a deer panting for water, and a deer panting for water is not a pretty sight. It's not a deer just panting for water. It's just standing by a, a, a stream. No, it's a deer that's staggering in desperation, not finding anything to drink. Or a better way to put it is this. True thirst isn't pretty. True thirst, like being at the point of exhaustion and thirst and dehydration isn't pretty. And spiritual thirst is a universal human condition. And thirst is a picture that runs all throughout the Bible from Genesis, where in the garden God provided Adam and Eve with streams and a river to quench their thirst to the closing line of the book of Revelation, where we are told, let the one who thirsts come. Let the one who thirsts come. God created us to have physical thirst, and God created us to thirst for him. The fountain of living water. But don't miss this. Brothers and sisters, every single one of us in this room, sin has hijacked that thirst. And what we have done because of sin is we begin to put our hope in things that can't come through for us. We drink of waters that will never satisfy us. And they leave us thirsty still. And guess what we do? We keep drinking. We keep drinking, hoping that something will change the next time we drink. Sin doesn't bend all of our thirst in the same way, but sin, sin bends all of our thirst in some way. And here we have this psalmist who felt separated from God. And in being separated from God, he's thirsting for God. In the Old Testament, the God's presence was in the temple. So to be separated from the temple was to be separated from God's presence presence and this psalmist is not only describing his thirst he is directing his thirst he's saying i'm not just thirsty for a temple i'm thirsty for god i need god in this moment and just notice how many different ways the psalmist describes the lord just in this psalm 
In this psalm, the psalmist says the Lord is the living God. He is the God of my salvation. He is the God of my life. He is God, my rock. Let me just say this. These aren't types of descriptions used to describe a casual acquaintance to someone who I just reached out to in a moment of desperation. What this psalmist is showing us is this. I know who God is. I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know what he's been to me during my journey, during my life. I know him, and this is who he is. In the words of A.W. Tozer, he said this, The modern scientist has lost God amid the wonders of his world. But we Christians are in real danger of losing God amid the wonders of his word. Think about that for a second. We're in danger of losing God at the wonders of this. Let me tell you why. He says this. We have almost forgotten that God is a person. And as such can be cultivated as any person can. It is inerrant in personality to be able to know other personalities. But full knowledge of one personality by another cannot be achieved in one encounter. It is only after long and loving mental relationships that the full possibilities of both can be explored. So the psalmist is saying, I know God. I know who he is. I know what he's done for me. Yet in this moment, he is cut off from the temple. And in being cut off from the temple, out of all the things that he is longing for, what does he want the most? And don't miss it. He wants corporate worship. Of all the things he wants most, he wants, he says, I want to go with the people of God to the house of God. Because there the multitude of voices praising God together lifted up his soul. And Christian, in this moment, I need to caution you against being casual about something that God has deemed so holy. Meaning, be careful about being casual about this about worshiping together, about coming together. The psalmist thirsted and longed for corporate worship. And let me just say this. If gathering together isn't valuable to you, you probably don't understand what's happening when we come together. You probably don't understand what's happening in this moment. God has always chosen to dwell among his people. And God has always also chosen to use his people as a means of encouraging one another in the promises of God and with the love of God. Which means, don't miss it, you Christian are called by God to give that encouragement to others and to receive that encouragement from others. That's what we're called to do when we gather together. So when you don't prioritize this, you are starving yourself and not just yourself. You are depriving someone else of the encouragement that God has to give to them through you. Don't miss that. You're depriving yourself and you're depriving someone else of the encouragement that God wants to give them through your life through you coming alongside of them. Do do you long, do you long for worship with the people of God like the psalmist longed? Do you hunger and thirst to meet with God, with God's people? And when you do come, are you ready to pour yourself out? Are you ready to receive what God has for you? Listen, I care about this because a casual 
heart towards worship almost always reveals a casual heart towards God himself. Let me say it again. A casual heart towards worship almost always reveals a casual heart towards God himself. Oh, that we would long for him, but also that we would understand that we are able to most know him when we are walking in community when we are walking with other brothers and sisters. So we have the first picture, a longing for God, which leads us second. The second picture is struggling with God. Struggling with God. And yes, we can talk about this from the pulpit. We struggle sometimes with God. Listen to what the psalmist says in verses 6 through 9. He says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the Hermon, Mount Mazar, meaning he's over 100 miles away. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers, your waves. And if you believe in it, underline those phrases, your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. And I'll, I'll tell you why in just a second. He says, they, they have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. And he goes on to say this, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? This psalmist calls out to God from the depths of his suffering. He's saying, my soul is downcast. My soul is cast down. The term cast down in Hebrew is a picture of a sheep that had been turned on its back and it can't get up. Imagine a sheep, legs straight in the air, just bah, not being able to do anything, vulnerable to attack. And here's the deal, brothers and sisters, oftentimes that's us. Because of our decisions, because of our choices, because of the things that we do, there we are on our backs, legs straight up in the air. And we cannot roll over no matter what we do, and we are vulnerable to attack. And a cast-down sheep is a picture in Scripture of hopelessness. And let me say this this morning, and please hear this. We have an enemy that wants us to be cast down. We have an enemy that will work and work to depress us and to paralyze us, to make us where we can't call out to God. And as the psalmist's thoughts turn to the promised land, he begins to think about this water imagery. The phrase deep calls to deep within the vicinities of the peaks of Hermon describes the image of one deep water joining another deep water and eventually leading to a roaring waterfall. The psalmist begins this psalm by saying, I need water. I am thirsty. But now he's saying, God, I have too much water. God, there's water everywhere. Water won't go away. And the repeated mention here of these words, your waterfall, your breakers, your waves, is the psalmist saying this, God, this is your doing. God, you're doing this. This isn't outside of you, like you allowing it. God, this is you doing this. These are your waterfalls crashing on me. These are your billows and your waves that are crashing upon me. It's a life-threatening situation here. This psalmist has sought life from God, but it feels like all he's getting is being threatened with death. And this is a moment where the psalmist is having a crisis of faith. It's a crisis of belief. And let me tell you something. Please hear this today. It is okay for you to have doubts. It is okay for you to have moments where you struggle in your faith, but it's what you do with those doubts that determine whether you will strengthen your faith or whether you will walk to unbelief. Here's the deal. If you're dealing with doubts today about God, take them to God. 
Don't deal with them yourself. But here's what we do. We struggle with God, and then we come up with the answer ourselves, As if God is limited because we're limited. Brothers and sisters, if you have a dealing with God today where God hasn't done what you wanted him to do, go to him. You know what God might just tell you? God might just say to you, you don't have what you think you need because you don't, you don't need it right now. But when you do need it, I'll give it to you. You trust in me. Trust in me. Listen, the psalmist is saying here, God, I know that you can rescue me. What I don't know is whether I can trust that you will. Whether you will, God, will you rescue me? And here is the struggle. In the middle of all of this discouragement, the psalmist stops and he says this. By day, Lord, you have commanded your steadfast love towards me. And he says, and you have given me God's songs in the night. You've given me songs to sing in the midst of darkness. Oh, to God, think about this. Think about the steadfast love of the Lord. That word in Hebrew refers to the covenant love of God for us. It refers to a God who, who gives promises, who remembers his promises, and who keeps his promises. And this is what the struggle is. The struggle is that the psalmist is saying, here's how I feel, but here's what I know to be true about God. Here's how I feel, but our feelings lie to us. And here's what I know to be true about God. His love never stops, and he gives me songs in the night. One of my favorite preachers from days gone by is Charles Spurgeon. And one of the main reasons I love him is because, I don't know if you know this about him, but he struggled his whole ministry with depression. There would be times where they would literally, men would carry him on a cot to a church, to a pulpit, and they would take him right to the pulpit. They would lift him up. He would preach the word of God. And as soon as he said amen, they would come and he would fall right back in and they would take him back to his house. And he just struggled. He struggled. And listen to what he says of Psalm 42. And he's a smarter man than most, so just, just hang on here. It says this, Great deeps of trial bring with them great deeps of promise. For you much afflicted ones, there are words great and mighty which are not meant for other saints of easier experiences. You shall drink from deep golden goblets reserved for those giants who can drink great potions of wormwood, meaning bitterness. You just drink bitterness. Trials are mighty enlargers of the soul. Yes, fill the loneliness of life. Here is a dreadful deep for you to sell on, and temptuous, a temptuous deep much to be feared, for your little boat may easily be wrecked. But don't forget that there is another deep whose remembrance will remove from you the bitterness of your present sorrow. There is a love in heaven towards you which will never grow cold. Let your deep call out so that you can hear from God his deep response. Listen, our deep suffering has a deep answer. And God will give us that answer. Maybe not in this moment, maybe not exactly when we want it, but he will give it to us. When you are dejected, when you are in turmoil, the answer is clear. Hear this. You fight. You fight. You fight to hope in God. You fight to praise him. You fight to remember that he has saved your soul and that he is your God. He is in control. He is good. He loves 
do. And that might not be something you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. And then hear this. There might be times where you are so depressed and you are so down that you can't fight that battle. And that shows you the importance of being in a place like this where other brothers and sisters can fight with you and fight for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss the beauty of what God has called us to. Don't act like it's important and don't sit around and wallow in your shame going, nobody cares about me. Have you told somebody? Have you asked somebody to pray with you? Have you asked another brother and sister to walk with you? Don't blame the church for things you aren't asking God for. And don't blame the church for things you aren't asking others to do. Brothers and sisters, God has brought us together, and we need to know that as we walk with the Lord, it's not prancing through daisies. It's a battle. It's a fight. But it is a fight that our Savior has already won. It's a fight he has already won. So, yes, there are moments of struggle, which leads us to the last picture, and that is this, hoping in Hoping in God. Twice in this psalm, verse 5 and 11, the psalmist makes the same proclamation. Hear it. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says this, hope in God, for I shall yet, or I shall again, praise him, my salvation and my God. Listen, why do we have hours Sometimes days, perhaps even weeks or months of depression and discouragement. Listen, there are many reasons why these things come. Sometimes these things enter our lives because, uh, because we're beat physically. I think of Elijah, who had a difficult experience on Mount Carmel where he battled against the prophets of Baal, and he prayed to God, and God sent fire down from heaven. And when that moment was over, his nerves were shot and he was exhausted. And just hearing that Queen Jezebel had now placed a target on his back, he runs away, he flees, and he cries to God and he says, God, just take my life already. Just kill me, God. You know what he does next? He sleeps. And when he wakes up, there's an angel there who says, eat this. And I don't want to belittle this, and I don't want to make light of any situation, but sometimes there are certain things in our lives. Here's what we need. We need a nap, and we need something to eat. Now, let me go further. Sometimes our depression is satanic, meaning we have an enemy that is shooting darts at us, and instead of putting up the shield of faith, we refuse to trust God. So those darts are hitting us in so many different ways, starting fires of discouragement, fires of depression in our lives. Other times, depression comes because of guilt, of unconfessed sin. Well, we have stopped saying with the psalmist, Oh God, search me and know me, try me, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes we sorrow because of circumstances. Sometimes it's because we have failed so much we think we are at the end. Now, let me say this. Every single one of those has a spiritual aspect to them. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So our, our battle is always against the enemy. And people in our lives are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. But understand this. What's the cure for all of this? 
And here's the cure. Don't miss it. Hope in God. Hope in God. I can't tell you how many times during my ministry that I have fought the heaviness of discouragement and disillusionment. That there have been times where on a Monday morning, it's like, God, are you done with me? God, is, is, am I, do, I, do I need to step down from, am I no longer able to lead your people here at Ocean Way? Where discouragement hits. Where there's times where I pour, pour my heart out and it seems like, and it, it's not the case, but it's what Satan magnifies. That all I get in return is just criticism and complaining. Not because of, we're not reaching as many souls as we need to be reaching, but because we're not giving people their preferences. And of course, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other church members, of course. <laughs> but there are times where just disillusionment and discouragement and depression kick in. And the only answer and solution to those throughout the years have been this. Calling it all to mind and saying, Micah, stop trusting in them. Hope in God. Trust in God. God, my circumstances will pass, but my God is the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. Oh, that we would understand that reality. Hope in God. And this psalm ends with the psalmist. He's still in the battle, and he's still pointing his heart and his head toward victory. He's saying, it's not there yet, but I believe God is coming. I believe, God, you will Bring it. And if you are a Christian, I imagine that this resonates with you in some way. Every single one of us, this resonates with us in some way. Why am I depressed? Why am I so down? And the psalmist begins to preach to himself hope in God. He's taking what he knows to be true, that God is his salvation, that one day he will sing songs again in the presence of people like he used to. He believes that God will deliver him and save him. And he's using this truth as a weapon to fight the darkness that is setting in upon his heart and mind. And again, notice what the psalmist does. Last week, Pastor Jordan led us to what Jeremiah did in, in Lamentations. Jeremiah, everything was against him, and Jeremiah said, but, but this I call to mind. So he called to mind God's loving kindness, his mercy, and his faithfulness. Well, this is what the psalmist does here, but instead of just calling it to mind, he preaches to himself. He begins to preach to himself. And let me say this, no one delivers more messages to you than you. What I mean by that is this, the most, influ most influential person in your life is you. It's you. You listen to you more than you listen to anyone else. And we are always interpreting the events and the situations of our lives, and we are quietly creating a story that helps us explain the meaning of it all. We are great influencers of ourselves, and sometimes our voice, still affected by the reality of sin, can be a dangerous voice to listen to. Because we say things like, well, God, you must not be here, ignoring the very words of our Savior saying, I will be with you forever. Or we say such things as, well, God, this can't be for good, when God says, I will work all things together for good to those who love me. We don't get to define good. He does. Or we say stupid things like, well, God, I just must be cursed. Listen, if you're cursed, it means you're not a child of God. 
because God doesn't curse his own. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're cursed, bow your knees to Jesus and trust him as your Savior. But the reality is this. Stop allowing your voice to tell you things that aren't true. They're not true. In his book, Spiritual Depression, some of you might need to read this. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of preaching to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You haven't originated them, but they are talking to you. They are bringing back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. But then he says this, you must go on to remind yourself of God who God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then he says this, then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself. Defy other people. Defy the devil. Defy the whole world. And say with the psalmist, I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. Listen, we all know the struggle the struggle that following God can be. At one level, we know that God is good and that he is working all things together for our good. We know that Jesus died on the cross for us and we have seen his hand working in our lives. Yet when the unexpected happens, when we're struggling to make ends meet, when life inevitably falls apart, when relationships break down, and when everything feels like it's against us. It can be a battle to believe that God is good and that he is for us. But he is. He is. He is good, and he is for his people. He's for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? It was a struggle for the people of God who wrote scripture to trust God in difficult moments, in discouraging moments, in deafening moments, and it's tough for us as well. So what do we do when it happens? Preach to yourself hope in God. Listen, it's wonderful to have a hope that doesn't rise and fall with changing circumstances. It's a sweet thing to have a hope that doesn't run away when trouble comes. It's good to be free from placing our hope in things that cannot fulfill us and will not come through for us. And it's wise for us to examine the hope that we have. Reorienting that hope, meditating on the one who is worthy of our hope, the only one who is worthy. So therefore, may our Savior the one who came to us and for us, that we are celebrating this season. May he renew our hope. And in renewing our hope, may he renew our perseverance. May he renew our trust. May he renew our joy. And let me just say this. We are waiting in hope. But the Bible says this. Those who wait on the Lord, according to Psalm 25, 3, those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame will not be put to shame. According to Isaiah 40, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. But who is the promise to? Those who wait on the Lord. We are waiting. We are waiting on him. 
But he has come through. He is coming through. He will come through. Or as Corinthians says, he has delivered, he is delivering, and he will deliver his own. Oh, brothers and sisters, wait on him. Hope in God. Now, I ask you to go ahead and stand. We're going to ask the praise team to come forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration, and let us pray. Father, in this moment, this is a, a holy moment where we as your children gather together, Lord, and God, we are oftentimes broken by the circumstances of this world. There are times where depression, disillusionment, darkness fill our hearts and minds, and we, along with the psalmist, say, God, where are you? Is this tears were saying that, or we say, why is my soul so downcast? Why is there nothing no peace stirring within me. But in those moments, God, help us to fight, to battle, to ask others to battle with us so that we can say to ourselves and others can say to us, hope in God. Lord, may we hope in you like never before. May we trust in you like never before. May we preach to ourselves your word like never before. Just finish this time with God. In Jesus' name, amen.